Good morning. My name is Grace, and our scripture this morning comes from Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire in the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. The bush was engulfed in flames, but it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard the cries of their distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God answered, I will be with you, and this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. The word of the Lord to you. You may be seated. Thanks, Grace. Good morning, everybody. My name's Gabe. I'm One of the pastors here, it's an awesome privilege to be together to worship the Lord. Um, I grew up here in Charlotte, and so you'll hear a lot of stories about Charlotte from me, but the first place I lived was on Laurel Avenue, right off of Providence Road, and before I was born, my mom and dad bought an old 1930s uh, craftsman ranch house, and my dad's super handy. I didn't inherit that particular set of skills, so don't invite me over to help you do renovations on your home. You'll be sorry. Um, But my dad was great at that, and so he undertook a great renovation project. He renovated the whole house by himself, did everything, plumbing, electrical, built onto the thing, roof, the whole thing. Um, It needed to be done, you name it, he did it. And so in many ways, my early childhood soundtrack was the sound of hammers and saws, and you know that plastic sheeting that you put up between rooms that are being renovated, how it kind of crinkles when the wind blows through it. That, that's a sound that kind of transports me back to that time in my childhood. 
But one day, uh, I remember waking up as a small child, and there was a blue toolbox sitting on my nightstand. And overnight, my dad had had put this little blue toolbox, and it had a little tiny hammer, and a little tiny screwdriver, and a little tiny tape measure. And I, I remember like being so excited for what that meant. And so I suited up in my little overalls and got my toolbox. And that was the first morning my dad invited me to be part of the renovation project. And as you can imagine, um, I, you know, I had a ton of joy in that. I think my dad had a lot of joy in that. He delighted in inviting me, even though my contribution to this massive renovation project was, was really um, quite small. I didn't even make a dent in it. And here's the deal. The story of my dad inviting me into a renovation project is exactly the same as God inviting us into his work as well. And so this is our third reality in our series, Experiencing God, which is learning to know and do God's will. And over the the last few weeks, we've looked at uh, a couple of different truths about what it looks like to experience God. First, we looked at the idea that God is always at work around you. He's always at work. Um, No matter what you're doing, no matter where you are, God has a renovation project of the world underway. But number two, not only that, God is pursuing a relationship with you. And I think when we shared that message, we said, today, today God is pursuing a relationship with you. And so all these realities are realities in our present. And so third, kind of what flows out of these themes of God being at work and God pursuing us is quite natural, is that God invites us to join him in his work. And so we're going to explore that theme today. But I want to name some tensions that we might be feeling as you hear this message. And, and these are tensions that I feel as I think about God inviting me into his massive project in the world. And I'm just going to name a few. And I'd love for you to like sit with attention this morning that feels most acute for you. You know, maybe some of you hear, you know, this idea that God's inviting us in and, and, and you just don't feel qualified. You don't feel ready. You think, you know, my life's a mess. Um, I've got this thing going on and I, and I don't think I'm qualified or, or ready to do that. Or maybe some of you are just simply trapped in your smaller story. You know, maybe you're just like super consumed with your life because let's face it, it takes a lot to make life happen these days, doesn't it? I mean, just raising kids and just holding down a job and just fixing the car and just all the things of life can lead us to this place where we reach middle life, especially, and we feel trapped in a smaller story. And so the idea of God inviting you into something bigger just seems unattainable. Or maybe for you, you just simply aren't sure what his work is. You're like, I would love to join his work, but what does that mean? What is God doing? What is his work? Um, And I want you to hear that if you are feeling uh, those tensions, if those are the questions rattling around in your soul, you are not alone. You're not alone. And we're going to talk about those this morning in the context of exploring further what it looks like to experience God together. Well, ever since our ancestors took hold of that forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden, Uh, They embarked on their own journey in many ways without God in the world. They kind of said, we're going to do life our way. But ever since that moment, God has been at work restoring what is broken in people and in relationships and in the created order. And most importantly, in his relationship with people who are made in his image. 
And, and the way that God went about this rescue mission is kind of unbelievable when you think about it. He chose a nobody people, a small tribe in the Middle East and kind of in the middle of nowhere, and they were the Hebrew people. And through these people, he demonstrated what he wanted to do for people everywhere, to reveal his nature and his character and his mission, and he wanted to call them to be set apart from the world, commanding them to love as he loves. And, and even though all that was true in their story, we learn in the Old Testament scriptures that for 400 years, the Hebrew people were enslaved in Egypt. 400 years. That's a long time, isn't it? That's generation after generation. They lived in slavery under the most oppressive, the most powerful uh, nation on earth at the time. And, and there in that oppression for 400 years, they suffered greatly. And they suffered physically, but they su suffered mentally and emotionally as, as you know, you can imagine, these are the people that God promised, I'm going to take you to this great place. I'm going to make you into a great people. And then for 400 years, they're just sitting in this oppression. And you wonder what that does to individual people. I would imagine it's easy to lose hope in that situation. And as they suffered, they cried out to their father to help them. But God heard their cries because we serve a God who hears. He heard their cries and he had a plan because we serve a God who always has a plan. And God chose a man because God always chooses to work out his great redemption plan for the world through people. And so that takes us to our text this morning. And I'm calling this Moses the Reluctant Hero. And um, if you've never heard the story of Moses, it's kind of captured in the first part of the Old Testament. We learn that Moses was a unique, he had a very unique story. He was a Hebrew baby, but uh, the Pharaoh at the time was slaughtering Hebrew babies because he was afraid of the Hebrew people rising up uh, against him. But Moses' mother, being savvy, put him in a basket and set him down a river. And we learn that in an unbelievable move of the providence of God, the Pharaoh's daughter is the one who finds the basket. And so Moses is taken into Pharaoh's house, this little Hebrew baby that was going to be slaughtered, taken into Pharaoh's own house, and there he's raised as a prince of Egypt. And all that that meant, he was educated as an Egyptian. Um, he had the finest things. He understood their worldview and their culture. But then one day when he was 40 years old, right at the beginning of the middle of his life, he sort of had this awakening, and he remembered that he was Hebrew, not Egyptian. And, and one day, the scriptures tell us that he was out walking, and he saw an Egyptian master begin to violently assault a Hebrew man. And, and something rose up in him because Moses apparently had an impetuous, angry nature, and that was part of who he was. And seeing the injustice, he rose up and he committed a violent act against the Egyptian, and he killed him. But what that meant was he had to now flee as a fugitive into the wilderness. And so we're told that uh, he left Egypt and he left his place and he fled into the wilderness where he met uh, the Midianites and he became part of a wandering Bedouin tribe. And so for the next 40 years of his life, so you can imagine from age 40 to age 80, Moses has sort of lost the dream of being a prince of Egypt and in many ways I'm sure felt like a failure, in many ways wondered, what is my future? What is it that I have the hope in? He was 
tending sheep that belonged to his father-in-law on land that didn't belong to him. He didn't own anything. He wasn't a person of significance. All the things that had made him somebody in Egypt now meant nothing in the wilderness of Midian. But then the scriptures tell us in Exodus 3 that one day Moses is doing what he always did because he was a shepherd and he was herding the flocks on a mountainside far from home in the middle of nowhere. And he saw something that caught his attention. It was a bush that was on fire, which, by the way, wasn't an abnormal sight in the wilderness. It was scraggly scrub brush that would have easily caught on fire. But if you've ever seen like very dry brush catch on fire, what does it do? It catches on fire quickly and then burns out quickly. But what caught Moses' attention is that this bush caught on fire, but didn't spread and kept burning well past the time that the bush itself had been burned up. You could see that the fire was a consuming fire, not consuming the bush, but consuming itself. And so he said, I've got to go see this great sight. And so he left the path that he was on and he wandered off of his normal way to go see this sight. And there, in the middle of this wilderness place, in the middle of a wilderness season of his life, in the middle of a hopeless season of middle life, the encounter occurred that would change the course of history. For there, on that mountain, Moses met his maker. You see, this is a moment of divine interruption And we pick up our text in verse 4. So if you have your scriptures, you can open to Exodus chapter 3. And we're beginning to read in verse 4. What is this divine interruption, this encounter in the wilderness? Verse 4, when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. And there's a few things that we need to notice here about what it looks like when God interrupts your life. The first thing we see is that the Lord saw. You see, we serve a God who sees us, and maybe for some of you, that seems like a really impossible idea because you don't feel seen in your life. Maybe you don't feel seen by the very people around you in your community or your family, but did you know that God is a God who sees us, and so he saw Moses. Secondly, we see that the Lord called Moses with an audible Voice. You see, not only does God see us, but we serve a God who draws us off of our beaten path, who calls out to us through his voice, sometimes and most often in the midst and in the middle of hard things. And so many of you may be going through a difficult season of your life right now. Maybe you're in a place of suffering and you're wondering, God, where are you? Where are you? I can't hear you. I can't see you. I feel like I'm wandering in the wilderness. But the reality is that God sees us and calls out to us, draws us off of our beaten paths. And lastly, and most profoundly, in this opening salvo of encounter of interruption, the Lord knows Moses' name. He knows his name, and he repeats it two times. And and in the scriptures, when a name is repeated two times, it's a call, it's a cry from someone who has authority to someone who is to be a servant. Moses, Moses, the Lord knows his name, and he knows everything about him, and he knows every story. 
And I imagine in this moment, as we move from this place of divine interruption, we move to a place of divine presence. And I think Moses is utterly confused at this time. I think his mind can't keep up with the experience that he's having. And I think he cries out from the depths of his heart, not being able to think, here I am, hearing his name. And then God instructs him, verse 5, do not come any closer, the Lord warned He stops Moses' advance because Moses is moving toward him. He says, take off your sandals for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. What does it look like when God interrupts us and then God is present? Well, first of all, we see that God is a God who descends from the place of heaven, to the place of perfection, to ordinary places, we see the God who made all of the universe descending to a lonely mountainside to a bush. Can you imagine that? The king of the universe is making himself known in a bush. But you see, when God descends to ordinary places, he changes those places and he makes them set apart for special purposes. He makes them holy by his presence. You see, wherever God is at work is a holy place. And I want you to hear this this morning, that where God is at work in your life, when you can just glimpse it and you see an interruption and you recognize just even a little bit of God's presence, guess what? That ordinary place of your life in parenting or at work or wherever you are in the common places of life is no longer common. Because when the presence of God is there, ordinary places become holy places. And wherever he is, is not only holy, but it's a place where his work is happening. And Moses stumbles into this. But the second thing that happens is that God identifies himself. And I think this is so fascinating and so important for us to recognize about the character of God. Is that there's so many ways that God could have identified himself. He could have said, remember that I'm the one that made the whole universe. Remember that I'm the one that hovered over nothing and made the oceans. Remember how great I am, but he doesn't say that. He says, remember that I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He names individual people. What does this tell us about the nature of God? That God is a relational God who's always at work, always moving toward us, always inviting people into the story. And as we look at those three men, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we say, well, what do they have in common? Well, first of all, they're people that God interrupted their life, invited them to be a part of the bigger story, but also all three of them lived as Moses lived, as wanderers. They weren't rooted people. They were were people that when God met them, he called them out and called them to a life of wandering and obscurity. And I think probably at this moment, Moses is remembering all the stories of the Hebrew people, maybe stories he hadn't thought about or talked about in a long time. And he's remembering the stories of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and he can identify with them as wanderers who join God. But the last thing we see is that that Moses' response to the presence of God is that it says that he was afraid and that he hid his face. What is that about? You see, in this moment, remember Moses' story. Up until this point, Moses 
thinks of himself as a failure. His life hasn't worked out. He's ruined the opportunity in Egypt. He's amounted to nothing in the desert. And here he is in the middle of life thinking, my life doesn't count. I have no hope. I don't know where I'm going. And I wonder if some of you can resonate with that this morning. That maybe you too find yourself in the middle part of life thinking, where is all this going? What is, what is gonna make my life count? What is my purpose? But also what he felt was deep shame because Moses, like us, knew himself and he knew that he was sinful. He knew he was insufficient. And in the face of a perfect God that revealed all of his imperfections, his natural response was to hide in the presence of such glory because he was completely exposed. Well, after the interruption in the presence, we see the next Part of this encounter is an invitation, verse seven. Then the Lord told him, I've certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt and I've heard their cries of distress. And then he goes on to describe the particular distress that he sees. He sees an oppressed people, a people suffering. And he says in verse nine, look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me. Remember, he's a God who hears. He's a God who draws near. And he has seen, he's a God who sees But verse 10, now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. And I think, just pause here for a moment. In in this little conversation with God, I think Moses is tracking as God is affirming all that he knows about Egypt and saying, yes, the people are oppressed, have experienced that, tried to do something about it, didn't exactly work out the right way. But then this moment in verse 10, I imagine that Moses feels deep fear is God says, not only do I see, but you are going to be the one that I send, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. There's all kinds of things we see in this interaction. First of all, we remember in this moment that when God makes a promise, he intends to keep it. You remember God made a promise to the Hebrew people to be their God and to bring them to a place where they could flourish and where they could be with him. That was the promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're not living out that promise in Egypt, but the promise is still good. And what we see here is God moving to fulfill his promise. Second, we see an invitation to remember the Garden of Eden. Remember the only place in history up until this point where God has dwelled in peace with his people is in the garden with Adam and Eve when he walked with them in the cool of the day and they were at peace. And I imagine in this moment, that Moses is remembering that story and saying, yes, we want to return to Eden. But I want to remind us today that when God invades our life, when he invites us into the work he's doing in our present, he's doing two things with regards to time. Number one, he's always reminding us of things he's already done. He's reminding us of Eden. He's reminding us of his intent. He's reminding us that he's a God who's always pursued his people But secondly, he's always reminding us of his future. And if you read the very end of scripture, it's a beautiful image of the city of God. Did you know that in the end of our story, it's not about going to heaven and floating up as a spirit and going to heaven, but instead the story ends with God descending and creating a city and a world where he dwells with his people for all of eternity, where we flourish, where there's no need for a son because the Radiance of his glory is so bright and so glorious. And that was the hope of Moses, and that's our hope too. And I want to mention that this is the meaning of our church. This is the meaning of New City. 
Why do we have a church called New City? Because we're a people in the present struggling, being invited into God's work now, but we're a people waiting with a hope and a future for that new city that's coming, that city where God will dwell with us. Well, we see Moses' response in verse 11. Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? And so we see Moses' response, his hesitation. Again, his smaller story. Again, his shame. The bravado of the younger Moses in Egypt has worn off. And now he shrinks back into his smaller story and says, I'm not enough. But God's response in verse 12, I will be with you. And as we sit in this reality that God invited Moses, God is inviting us to participate in his bigger story. But I think many of us think about that. Many of us presented with opportunities to give our life away in service to the Lord. We respond as Moses did. I don't have what it takes. Who am I? And we, in a weird way, we think it's humility, but really it's a way of putting ourselves at the center of our story. And we say, I don't have what it takes, but God's reply is he'll have none of it because he answers, I will be with you. You see, the cure for your shame, the cure for the lie that you don't have what it takes to participate in the great purpose that God has for your life is God's presence. And that if you can grab onto that, it takes us from our small story into God's bigger story. Well, this encounter ends in a powerful way as God reminds Moses of his name. And he says, my name is Yahweh, which in the Hebrew spoken sounds like the wind. Yahweh. It sounds like breath. Yahweh. And it's the very breath of God that he breathed into the nostrils of Adam that made a human being have a soul and have life. This is the God that is speaking. And this is the God that is speaking still. And then he says, I am that I am. What does that mean? It means that he is the first and the last. It means he gets to decide the future and he gets to make sense of your past. God is breath. God is spirit. God is I am the first and the last. Well, we fast forward 1,500 years and we take us to a different mountain. And this time, God is on a mountain, but this time it's in a resurrected Jesus. And Jesus in Matthew chapter 28 is standing with his disciples. And there's so many similarities between the encounter of Moses on the mountain and the encounter of Jesus on the mountain with his disciples in Matthew 28. In verse 16, it says this, Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. And do you see the connection? Moses encountered God on a mountain. The disciples encounter God on a mountain. And both of them respond with fear and inadequacy, doubt, uncertainty. But you see, God hasn't changed And he hasn't changed in those 1,500 years from Moses to Jesus, and he hasn't changed from that moment of Jesus to now. God's response is the same, verse 18. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, 
Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. Are you ready? I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so remember we began by saying some of you may have questions about your participation in God's bigger story. And one of those questions is, what is God's work all about? Well, it's right here in Matthew 28. God's work in our time is to make disciples. It's, it's one person sharing the one true story of the world with another person. And guess what? The way he wants to break in and interrupt the lives of your neighbors, your friends, your family, your coworkers, the people at your school is you. He wants you to be the messenger. He wanted Moses to be the messenger to his people, and he wants you to be the messenger to the people in your world. And so if we say, well, what is God's work? His work is sending you as his follower to tell other people about the God that made them. And some of you might be sitting with, th- with that and you're saying, I'm not enough, I don't know enough, I haven't been schooled enough, I'm not holy enough, I'm not set apart enough. And you know what God says to that? He says, I will be with you. He doesn't say go back to school, get it together, get more of your life right. He says, look at me because my presence is what cures you of your insufficiency, your inadequacy, and your shame. And I just want you to sit with that this morning as we think about this story and this principle that God is always at work around us. God is always pursuing love relationship with you, but God is inviting you right now, today, he's inviting you to join him in his work in the world. And the question is, what will you do with it? Well, can you imagine if New City was a church filled with people who said, we're not going to let our shame, our insufficiency, our small stories get in the way of what God is doing. And we're going to be a courageous people who go and share life with others in our world. I think that's what God has called us to as a church. Amen. All right, we're going to end this message this morning in a little bit of a different way. I'm going to invite Bob Ashley up, and Bob is our care pastor. If you haven't met Bob, you need to have a conversation with him. Um, But Bob is going to lead us in a part of the service um, where we're going to take what we've heard and what we've eaten and consumed in the scriptures, and we're going to digest it a little bit, and we're going to have a few minutes for you to process what you've heard this morning. Thank you, Bob. Amen. Thank you, Gabe. I'm honored to be here with you this morning. You know, here at New City, our, our purpose is really to help people find and follow Jesus. You hear that a lot. And like Moses, we've been given a commission to fulfill a purpose. And fulfilling this purpose is important not only to us, but to our families, our friends, our neighbors, our city, and well beyond. And while this purpose may seem simple, it's not without challenges. Because like Moses, we may also face some fears and doubts regarding our abilities to carry out this purpose that God has called us to. Like Moses, we may ask, who am I to do this? Under what authority can I fulfill this purpose? What will I say? What if I say the wrong things? What if nobody wants to listen to me? 
like Moses, we may have fears and doubts, but like Moses, we can be empowered by our Lord to overcome these doubts and these fears when we turn to God for help. So I ask you, brothers and sisters, this morning, let's take a moment of silence to examine our hearts and identify some of those things that might get in the way of helping people find and follow Jesus. You all should have a card on your seats and a pen in the seat back in front of you. And I encourage you to write down any doubt or fear that you may have when it comes to helping people find and follow Jesus as we sit in silence together this morning, listening to the Holy Spirit prompt our hearts. brothers and sisters, let us go before the Lord together as we lift these things up to, to him as we pray this morning. Lord, like Moses, we are standing on holy ground when we come to you this morning. And like Moses, we want to serve you, but we have doubts in our abilities. So Lord, we ask that you remind us of your promise to be with us always. And we ask that you take away these fears and these doubts that we have so that we may help people find and follow you. So without eloquent words or great theological insights, we simply ask, Lord, please help us so that we may help others. Please take away these fears and these doubts and empower us with boldness and wisdom to help lead others to you because it is only by your power that we can fulfill this purpose. Lord Jesus, it is in your name and for your glory that we pray these things this morning. Amen. Now I pray that you felt the Lord's presence as you responded to this message, to his message this morning, spoken through Pastor Gabe. And if you were able to write down anything on, on a card that, that came to mind that would be sort of an obstacle to helping you find and follow or helping others find and follow Jesus, I encourage you to, to bring them this morning as, as we go to song this morning and, and we begin to sing. I would encourage you to bring them and put them in this container down in front of the, the stage here. And just use that as a a reminder that you drop it at the foot of the cross, that you leave that here. There's no need to carry that burden any further. We have gone before the Lord. We have 
surrendered these fears and these doubts, and his power is fully sufficient to take them away. Let's not take them with us. Let's leave them here this morning. And lastly, there are people here with yellow lanyards on that would be honored and feel privileged to pray with you. If you'd like to stand united in, with someone in prayer this morning, find us with a yellow lanyard. It would be a privilege to pre be praying with you this morning. Thank you all. Church, would you stand with me as we respond and feel free to come up and drop in the bucket. Death is 
Well, hey friends, it's been awesome sitting in God's bigger story uh, with you here this morning. That's kind of what church is all about. Uh, The gathered people of God, we remind each other that there's a story bigger than the story we're living and that there's a God who's present and who's always inviting you in. And so the challenge is this week, look for where God is at work because he's work right around you. And where there's people that are hurting, that's a place where you should be drawn to, to pay attention, that where people are hurting, there's probably a place where God is at work. And if you're paying attention to that, perhaps you're the person that's supposed to move towards someone in your world. So just wanna challenge you with that. I'm certainly challenged with that um, this week. Also, um, we've kept talking about uh, the, sp- the spiritual discipline of prayer as kind of a starting point for our life with Jesus. And I don't know where you are in, in your prayer life, whether you hear prayer and you think that's for someone else or that's just not something I know how to do or I'm comfortable with. But look, this is something God's been teaching me just in the last year that our first work as the people of God and our last work is to go before him in prayer because that's where we seek him. That's where we meet him. That's where he changes us as we experience him. And so Um, If you'd like to grow in your prayer life, I want to invite you to a special class that starts on February 11th at the 11 o'clock hour right here at Matthews. So you can come to the 930 and then you can stay after and um, Nick and Bob and Lisa and others are going to be leading a beautiful workshop style class that will help you grow in your prayer life. So I just want to challenge you in that if you're looking for a next step. Um, Hey, well, as you go back out into your world this week, um, I just want to remind you that God is with you. He's always with you. He's always for you. And so if you're able, would you extend your hands as a way of receiving blessing as we go this morning? And now may the love of the Father and the grace of the Son and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you this day and always. Go in peace, friends. Just from Jesus.